0: We are entering a new frontier of mental health solutions as more and more psychedelic research is conducted and put forward. What do the numbers say so far? That's what we'll be talking about on today's episode. So welcome back to another episode of Bed Letter. I'm your host Christian Ashleman and this is the podcast where we chat a little bit about human psychology and mental health, social change, and cultural trends. So this is the ninth episode of Bed Letter. If you enjoy what you've heard on the previous eight episodes or what you hear on this episode, be sure to follow on whatever platform you prefer and share the podcast. Um, Bed Bed Letter is on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of other smaller platforms as well. Subscribing to the podcast on those platforms is definitely the best way to stay up to date as new episodes are released. So be sure you hit that follow or subscribe button or whatever it is for you. Another way you can stay up to date with what's going on in the show and with what I've got going on is to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. It's just at C. Ashleman, at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. It's also a great place where you can, you know, generate discussion about what we talk about on these episodes, the subjects we pick apart, um, and you can use those social media outlets to do that and talk about your thoughts and feelings and all that stuff um, about these episodes. So, in today's episode, like I said, we're going to be talking about psychedelics. And I want to start off by saying that I totally understand that this topic can be very polarizing, right? Because for a long time, these, these drugs, these types of things have been seen as very, uh, you know, hippie or dangerous, illegal, fry your brain, you know, all this kind of stuff like that, right? All of this sensationalized stuff and i think that it's really important to take a step back from that ideology and to forget what you know about you know the sensation what what the sensationalized media tells you um what the sensationalized stuff has said about uh this or that about all of these different things um and all of the negative stuff, all the stuff that we've, we've known for decades and decades that have come out saying, oh, that you know, this is why these things are illegal. This is why they're you know, awful and terrifying. I think it's really important to take a step back from all of that and kind of just look at what the, what the data says, what the information says, what the research is coming out with. Because that's where you're going to be finding a lot of the um, – aside from, you know, personal experiences people had with this stuff, aside from all of that, this is where you're going to find the real hard evidence. And so I, I just wanted to start off by saying that that I think that you know the findings are real and they have a huge um, impact on how we deal with mental health because the reality of it is that research facilities for psychedelics are popping up all over the place and all over the world and there's new findings, there's resurfaced research from from decades ago and there's new research that's coming out every day and it's it's a frontier it's definitely a frontier to be on in the in the realm of mental health and psychology so and i and i can also promise that this topic is going to be a reoccurring theme on this show because because of what the research shows because of how big of an impact these things can have on mental health and on um, you know, the next, what we can do for solutions to mental health, for depression, for anxiety, for all of these different things, addiction, you know, all of these different things. So, um, you know, we only know what we know until we learn something new. And that is what I'm talking about today. That's the frontier. That's what we're on right now. Um, it's kind of uh, another wave of this of this research as as it begins to get more traction and become popularized again. So, I found this art, this article by Dr. Elizabeth Gilbert, who has a Ph.D. in social psychology from the University of Virginia. And in this article, she compiles a whole lot of different uh, information and research on psychedelics. Um, she kind of pulls in a whole do- ton of just different research, different... Um, Different focuses of that research, whether it be on you know addicted populations or you know like healthy populations or cancer people, just all sorts of different you know psychedelics and how though how they affect those different kinds of populations and she brings in you know some of her own rhetoric, but she also talks most of it is just straight uh, straight research She's just pulling it in it's a huge article and it's kind of a comprehens- comprehensive essay that's being added to frequently throughout 2019. So um, it's been edited and added several times throughout the year as more research has come out. And I think it's important to note that as we go through this research and a lot of the stuff that she's talked about in this in this article and all, in, in all of these other articles, um, it's important to note that this stuff is all referring to clinical settings, clinical tests and trials of psychedelics. It's not talking about... Situations where it's like recreationally used or anything like that. These are all clinical settings with professionals um, who are studying the, you know, in controlled environments who are studying this, the effects of these things. So she starts off by talking about how there's about there's roughly a hundred different psychedelics out there, but really there's 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 a lot of big players, but there's four main big players that are being studied the most right now. And those four players are psilocybin, which is a naturally—it's the naturally occurring mushroom. It's the you know magic mushrooms. It's that's psilocybin. And for this episode, we're going to be focusing mostly on psilocybin, um, just because there's so much stuff in that article we can't go through all of it. Um, in the future, I'll probably do some other episodes and stuff where we talk about the rest of them. But in this one, we're mostly going to be focusing on psilocybin. Um, the second is lysergic acid diethylamide, which is LSD. That's a synthetic drug that's made in a laboratory um, and is you know in a controlled environment as well. And then there's ayahuasca, which is a psychoactive tea which is drank by indigenous peoples um, in different rituals and stuff like that. And then there's mescaline, which is a naturally occurring hallucinogen that you can get from uh, peyote cacti. So those are kind of the four big players that are being studied the most in the psychedelic, field right now and just kind of to address the effects in a quick little paragraph way I was thinking of ways I could kind of um, pull what it was saying in the article and re and word it in my own way but the way that Gilbert says it in the article I think is the best so she says all of these have an effect by acting on the brain's serotonin receptors resulting in a dreamlike hallucinogenic state of altered perception emotion and cognition other experiential effects include feelings of transcendence, sometimes described as rising above or stepping outside of oneself, and a sense of stronger connections with others and the world. So I kind of wanted to just pick, lay that in there before we get into what these, what these types of things have done for people, just so you kind of have a sense of how that's working through the brain and through the experience of a, of a human being. Um, but after that, she begins to do a run-through of all these different studies on drugs. And like I said, we're really going to be focusing today on the psilocybin side of things, on the uh, on the magic mushroom side of things. I guess you could call it. I think that's silly. The, to saying magic or mystical and stuff like that doesn't sound super scientific. But those are kind of like the, the slang terms for it all. So you yeah. know. So in a study at Johns Hopkins University in 2006, by Roland R. Griffiths. They they took healthy participants and they gave them a high dose of psilocybin to see what the effect would be on their well-being, and by well-being I mean like their perceived life satisfaction. So these these participants were healthy; they didn't have cancer, they weren't depressed or anxious, or had OCD or any other any other issues. They weren't addicted to things, um, you know, like alcohol, smoking, nicotine stuff like that. They're just healthy participants. They gave them a high dose of psilocybin. And these participants had never had this had this drug before, and they were looking at the effect of uh, on their well-being. And they followed up over the course of 14 months several times, and they discovered an upward trend in their moods, behaviors, and attitudes. So of the 36 participants who had never tried this before, they found that 67% of them rated the experience on psilocybin as among the top 5 most meaningful experiences of their life again I'm going to say that one more time because that, that stat is insane 67% so 2 thirds of these people rated the experience as among the top 5 most meaningful experiences of their life which is, that's, it's incredible that they are able to, to rate it with such a high um, level of meaning in their life, and they're able to attribute so much to this experience where they where they um, took these doses of psilocybin, because um, a lot for a lot of people, the most meaningful experiences of their life would be, I mean, I don't know, probably, I don't know, maybe the day they get married and the day they have child one, two, three, and four. I, I don't know, but they they did more research from there and they found that sixty four percent of them, so again, almost two thirds reported as having improved their life satisfaction and well-being. And this is over the course of 14 months. So this is enduring data. This isn't just they took the, the psilocybin, did the whole thing, and then you know 12 hours later they rated themselves on these things. this was, this was a fo- the multiple follow-ups over the course of 14 months. So these numbers are incredibly significant in research. Like in research, if you can get that kind of that kind of stat, like that kind of number, Correlated to that high level of meaning, that's insane. that That is insane and significant, very significant. So they also found at the end of this research that um, when when the patients were taking the dose, if they had a very meaningful dose experience, so they're sitting on the on the couch, you know, with their pillows, they have the music playing, they're doing whatever they're doing with their psychologist sitting next to them, the the person who's like kind of walking them through this experience. If they had a very meaningful dosage experience, they were more likely to have more meaningful spiritual significance or spiritual experiences later on. So, um, and that's not by—I don't mean more spiritually significant experiences by them taking more psilocybin later in life. I just mean sober experiences where they experience have a have a spiritual experience. They had more of those um, later on in their life. And so with that one, I'm I wonder if um, I wonder if it's kind of because in these these trips that these these patients are taking on the, with the psilocybin, I wonder if they're able to kind of know and understand what that experience is like afterwards, kind of conceptualize it, and then see it in other times of their life, I guess, without without the facilitation of the drug itself. And so. Um that was that was a very interesting finding kind of tacked on to the end of that that bit of research that Griffiths did. But uh he did another experience, experiment, experience. He did another experiment um several years later in 2018, so last year, and this time he wanted to look at the effect that psilocybin would have on actual behavior. And what he found in the second experiment in 2018 is that there was an increase after these patients had taken the, the psilocybin and, and gone on and, and you know, gone into back into their regular life. They had an increase in pro-social attitudes and behaviors, which kind of resulted in a higher level of and more frequency of altruistic thoughts and feelings in these, in these patients. And they also found that the patients tended to have a higher integration of spiritual values into their daily lives so whatever their spiritual values are were and i don't necessarily always mean just like what your religious beliefs are i'm i'm talking about which which a lot of those could line up right i'm talking more about just what your spiritual and moral values are they found a higher integration of those different values into the daily life of subjects so it's almost like the the subjects were having the patients were having uh kind of aligning more with what they believed their actions were aligning more with what they believed and they also, as they, because a lot of these studies, it's very important for them to follow up consistently as the study, as they move throughout their life, instead of just, you know, testing them a week later and saying, well, oh yeah, there's a change. There's a change. Like they, they try to do it over the course of a long time. So, um, what they did is they, they checked back, you know, six months over the course of six months and they found that these behaviors were still occurring up to six months after the initial dosage. And sometimes there was like two doses, three doses in the course of several weeks. But yeah, six months after all of those doses, these behaviors were still occurring in these patients. So it's it's a very enduring change. It's a very enduring um, experience that these people have. And they think that it might partly be due to the fact that the changes um, that psilocybin facilitates kind of are – it affects a big personality – one of the big five personality traits – um, which is openness, the first one, openness, and a lot of times, openness, the personality trait, openness, can is kind of where somebody's creativity, um, their cre- curiosity, and their artistry will lay, and so they they think that maybe the reason that these that these things happened, you know, with them having more altruistic thoughts and feelings, they think it might be because it kind of changed and augmented that person's level of openness which led to them being more creative, more curious, and have a higher le- higher level of, of artistry. So in that same study by Griffiths in 2018, they also found that the participants experienced increased levels of life purpose and meaning, uh, death transcendence, which is basically a person's f- uh, fear, overcoming a person's fear of dying, right? These people had somewhat overcome this fear of dying um, they had increased levels of religious faith they had increased levels of coping they were more more equipped and better able to cope with things with stress with with you know sadness with uh, all kinds of stuff just coping in general um, they also had increased levels of interpersonal closeness which is basically somebody's feelings of being connected to another person or being connected to strangers or other human beings or family or friends um and then they also experienced um or they experienced these things for like i said up to 6 months later which is and again very incredible that they're able to have and this isn't by 6 months later they're not taking the psilocybin dosage every you know every fourth day or you know once every 2 weeks this is they take it several times or even one time sometimes in some cases and they're seeing that the the effects of what they what they get out of that spiritual experience that they have with this with this substance is an enduring effect over the course you know six months later they come back and talk to these people and have them you know check them out and do all these things and they're they're finding that it that it does have an enduring effect and it might not be as strong of the level you know six months later but it does have you know um, statistical significance. So in another study by C.S. Grob in 2011, um, he used psilocybin on cancer patients with anxiety and mood disorders. So instead of testing people who are, um, you know, happy and healthy and and you know just your regular person, average Joe who's not, you know, not having to go, not going through crippling depression or anxiety or anything like that. They, he, he, was, he was testing on people with mood disorders and anxiety disorders and cancer patients who, who experience a lot of discomfort, mental discomfort, and um, mood disorders as they, as they work through that. And what C.S. Grob found in his 2011 study is that there was a noticeable, a very noticeable downward trend in the severity of the patient's depression and anxiety as they were on these psilocybin doses. He also noticed that it was far noticeable than anything that happened in the placebo group. So he had two groups, one group who, and neither group knew which they were getting. They didn't know if they were getting the placebo or the psilocybin. And he noticed that the group that that got the psilocybin was the group that had the very noticeable downward trend in the severity of depression and anxiety. And at six months, once again, that trend was still more significant. And in fact, it was almost even more significant in this specific study um, and continued this way for another half a year. So another six months after that, it continued to go down and down and down. And most importantly, um, well, I don't know if it's most importantly because that downward trend is pretty – you know, that's very important if if we're seeing a very noticeable trend downward in depression, anxiety in these people – but very important still is that there were no reports in this study of any sort of adverse side effects from the uh, initial dosage from the dosages they got of psilocybin there were no reports of adverse side effects whereas typically your 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 typical you know medication on the market today will always come with its its long list of side effects right I know there's there's some that they make you more tired, they make you have nightmares, they make you have they make you instead of being more tired, they make it so you can never sleep, they make you nauseous, they give you headaches, they I mean half the time you listen to a commercial on TV that's that's for some medication and one of the side effects could even be death, right? Like there's all kinds of side effects for most medications out there, but it was important for these guys to note that these that this dosage that they gave these people of psilocybin, it was reported from these patients, that there were no adverse side effects, and it does say adverse side effects. So while there could be side effects, um, they didn't—they were reported as not being adverse, or you know, invasive or bad. So Griffiths, the guy that did this study we talked about a few minutes ago on the people who he wanted to see what their, you know, how their well-being was going to be influenced by psilocybin, he later did another study where he wanted to test it on people that had depression and anxiety as well. And so what he did is that he gave these patients um, doses of psilocybin, and five weeks after the dosings, he found that the patients showed significant improvements in their depression and anxiety scales. And he used the uh, scales such as the Beck Depression Inventory, um, the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, the Hamilton Anxiety Rating Scale. These are just different scales that people use, um, that, that researchers use to gather information about a person's depression, the severity of a person's depression, um, how long they've been experiencing that depression. It just gathers a lot of information about that person's depression anxiety, depending on which test you're looking at. So he noticed big, significant improvements on those scales using those different tests. And at six months, once again, the findings were still significant, statistically still significant. He found that 60% of the patients were no longer clinically depressed or anxious. And it does say clinically depressed or anxious, right? It's not saying they're completely free of depression and they're happy and anxious. They didn't take the psilocybin and six months later they're running down the street throwing flowers at their feet, right? It's it's, you know, 60% of the patients were no longer clinically depressed. So they were no longer like diagnosable with this, with this crippling, you know, depression or anxiety. But that is still incredibly significant. 60% success rate. And at that in that regard, but he also found that 80% continued to display less symptoms of depression and anxiety. So 80% of the whole of people who took who did this study were, while well, some of them were not, you know, let off as, or some of them were not undiagnosed from being, you know, clinically depressed. They did experience um, less symptoms of this depression and this anxiety. And again, these numbers are insane: 60%, 80%. You normally are not going to see numbers like that when it comes to your, your typical over-the-counter drug or your, you know, your antidepressors or you know, whatever it is. Um, and so what they also did next, and, and this gets into a whole nother, um population here, is they tested psilocybin on addicted people, people that are addicted to smoking or they're alcoholics, stuff like that. So in 2014, they did a study where they paired cognitive behavioral therapy With doses of psilocybin on people who were smokers, very frequent smokers, addicted to smoking, smoked all the time. Um, And what they found is that after giving participants two or more doses over the course of two months, 80% of them were confirmed to have remained abstinent from smoking six months later. So six months later, they come in and they, they run tests on these people to see, because you can ask people, have you smoked? And they're they're probably going to say, oh, yes or no, or whatever they're going to say. But they actually tested these, biologically tested these people to see if there was nicotine in their system. Um, and I don't know fully how that works. I don't know how far back they can go. But yeah, they 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 ran tests with these people, did questionnaires with these people and surveys. And they found that 80% were confirmed to have remained abstinent from smoking after taking these the psilocybin dosage paired with cognitive behavioral therapy and uh what the the crazy thing is is that most medication therapy is for 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 like to help you stop smoking only works about 35 percent of the time right so they are more than doubling the success rate of uh helping people to quit smoking with this type of therapy, pairing cognitive behavioral therapy with doses of psilocybin. And like I said, they did three doses. They did the initial one, and then they did two more after that over the course of two months. Six months later, 80% confirmed to remain abstinent from smoking. And even more crazy is that up to two and a half years later, so even way longer down the road, two and a half years later after this, 60% of the people were still abstinent from smoking so it didn't always remain that 80% some of those people went back to smoking you know it's a time later but 60% were still abstinent from smoking so again that's still far higher than that 35% success rate of most you know typical um, medication that helps you to stop smoking and they did very similar studies um, as they did with the smoking they did very similar studies on people who were alcoholics and they found that by by giving these these you know the step pairing the therapy the behavioral therapy with the psilocybin doses, they were able to reduce the amount the number of days that people drank the, the number of days that alcoholics drank by nearly half. Right, so um, a lot of them had per the average was that people had reported that they they drank thirty three percent of the days, so a third of days, um or a third of the days of the week people would typically you know binge drink. And they got that number down to less than 15% of the days of the week, right? So after running, they did the study with the smoking, they did the studies with the alcoholics, and they both came up with very profound, very impactful research in numbers here. And a lot of these psilocybin trials are paired with some form of traditional, you know, talk therapy, such as like the, the behavioral therapy and stuff like that. There are, a lot of them are paired with some kind of extra therapy as well. But these therapies we've been doing for a long time, right? So we're pairing it with something that's also very powerful and very impactful, and we're using both of those things um, to help the person get over whatever they're trying to get over. And a lot of times some of the people who were, who were the alcoholics or the smokers, they said that the, the therapy was a huge part of it as well just because while the, the psilocybin dosings and, their, and their, their trips were incredibly impactful – Rated extremely meaningful and helped to help them quit initially. You know, and over time they could refer back to these these experiences. But the support system of the therapist themselves and the 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 behavioral therapy did as well. You know, help them stay abstinent from whatever they were trying to quit. So it's kind of a, a pairing of these two important um, things in the psychology field: the therapy and this actual psychedelic. And there's, there's new studies coming out that are pioneering new new research, new information, asking new questions, and they're beginning to show that there are similar effects on OCD as well. Um, they don't really get too much – in this article specifically, they don't get too far into like the specific numbers on OCD or anything, but they did mention how there's new studies that are starting to look at the – At the way that psychedelics can interact with OCD, help to lower the effects of OCD, help to lower the anxiousness, the anxiety, all that stuff. So, you know, it's starting to cross over into all kinds of different boundaries and see, you know, and and see how, what the effect is on, on the human brain and the human experience and behavior. And again, I just want to reiterate that a lot of these psilocybin trials are, um, and a lot, well, just all of these, these trials are in clinical settings, right? It's not recreational. These people weren't just given a dose of, of whatever. They weren't just given them and, you know, told to go home and figure it out themselves. They're in, they're in clinical settings with clinical psychologists that are professionals that are watching over them throughout the entirety of their experience. Um, They're in clinical settings, and I think that that's a huge factor in the success of these things because it allows that person to focus heavily on what it is they're trying to accomplish in that scenario, whether it be quitting smoking or to not be, you know, stop drinking or to be less of an alcoholic or whatever it is. But all of these things are why this research is so important and why it's, it's so important that we bring these things into, into the light and actually ask the questions, Right. Because the reality of it is, yes, these chemicals are incredibly powerful. They are incredibly impactful. But that doesn't mean that we should just be putting, you know, slamming the lid on the jar and locking them all away and not looking at them and not asking the questions and not even being curious about them. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we should be cramming it down every single person's throat either, regardless of whether they're interested or not. What it does mean is that we should be researching it. We should be asking questions. We should be implementing methods of research, you know, with these research facilities that are popping up. We should be um, creating new practices in in the field of of psychology, where we by professionals that know what they're doing. We should be um, creating new and implementing new directions for the questions that we're asking in the psychology field. Because um, what we need to be doing is is, is figuring out ways to solve the problem, right? We have a huge problem of depression and suicide and and anxiety and all of these things. And we have somewhat of a key here to where we can help figure out a solution for that as long as we're asking the right questions and going about it the right way. Because many many medications on the market today, they only stand to be kind of a band-aid to the real issue, Right they only stand to be a chemical that helps to go in and suppress this issue and kind of slap over the issue but never really rarely do these these medications ever like fully heal and and fix the issue a lot of the times it's something that you have to take every day or every week or every month or whatever and it's and it's um it doesn't fully fix the issue it's something you have to keep up on otherwise the issue just comes right back and since these you know, psychedelics are working through serotonin pathways, which serotonin is, is like your happiness levels, it's your happy, your happy chemical, whatever you want to call it, is um, since it's working through those pathways, it's actually helping to create an experience where in a way you are sort of working through the problem yourself, right? You're sort of um, creating this environment in your brain where you're able to take a step back, and look at the big picture of something. You're creating an intellectual environment in your brain that lets you see the bigger picture, lets you, like in the case of smoking, lets you take a step back and as reported in the research, um, like look at your habit of smoking and, and kind of trace it back to a root and kind of discover why you're doing this and understanding why. So it's kind of like intellectually and mentally you're working through these problems. It's not just a pill you pop and you don't think about it, Right. It's, it's a whole mental process that helps you kind of chip away at the block of what is the issue that you're trying to address. And the research has shown this in, in these articles. The research has pulled out these correlations that are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly significant. Um, and so, you know, I believe that this kind of research is the next big frontier for real mental health solutions. I think that uh, we need to overcome the legal barriers and ask the big questions about what, what we can do with this information, what we can do with this research, what kind of practices and, and uh, methods can we bring out that will help to solve the problem, the problems that we're facing in society. You know, our crisis of meaning, our crisis of, of suicide rates and depression. Because I think that if we have access to something as profound as this, it would be more criminal to not research it. And I know we didn't talk about most of the other psychedelics. We mostly focused on psilocybin for all of these studies. We kind of just gl- we raced through today. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of information on this stuff. There's a whole lot to say about this stuff. And a whole lot to go over in this extremely exciting time where we're starting to see more research and more data that's that's coming out and, and showing different ways we can solve these problems. So we have plenty of time, plenty of more episodes where we can look at this stuff going down the road. And uh, as the research keeps coming out, but I think that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode, guys. If you enjoy listening, be sure to follow the podcast on whatever platform that you prefer to listen on. Again, it's on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and and Google Podcasts, and a whole bunch of other smaller podcasting platforms. Um, if you found this this episode of Bed Letter interesting, share it. Make sure you share it with your friends, your family, your po- any any podcast lovers you know, anybody who's interested in psychology or Um, psychedelic research or specifically for this episode at least just you know any anybody who's interested in that stuff i really do appreciate it when it's shared out there means a lot to me Um, you can also follow me on social media to stay up to date with the show i'm on instagram twitter and facebook just at c ashleman i definitely use instagram the most because i really like i enjoy photography a lot so if you're if you're on instagram definitely follow me there I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I love you guys. Thank you again, and have an awesome week. I will see you next time on Bed Letter.